Hey, I'm Dawn Tree. Welcome to Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone who's autistic. And I believe it's high time that we as parents and loved ones started focusing on ourselves and how we can change as we strive to support the people we love. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Together, we are taking the steps necessary to change the way the world looks at autism. Please don't forget to take a second to rate and review Atypical Parenting wherever you're listening. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today's topic is waiting for the other shoe to drop. Dum, dum, dum. Have you heard that expression? It's sort of how I feel like I've lived and continue to live my life. So many of these episodes have been about managing the difficult stuff that comes with loving someone who's autistic and learning more about ourselves and also about autism so we can get through all the hard times as successfully as possible. So I thought that today for a change, I'd talk about the good times because it would be wonderful when things are going well, if we could feel happy and relaxed and able to enjoy those good times. But I don't think that's how most of us feel a lot of the time. I know for myself and also for the many, many other parents I've talked to over the years, it can be really very hard to enjoy the good times when you've watched your child or loved one struggle for so long. The joy of watching them succeed of being more regulated, of being happier, of accomplishing new skills, whatever, right? It's amazing. But still, there's this thing, this feeling that keeps us from fully embracing the joy of it all. Because often while we're feeling those amazing feelings of happiness, we also have this sense of deja vu because we've been here before. There have been times in the past when things went well for a bit. And then because of the chronic and fluctuating nature of autism, those times were followed by difficult times. And you and I know that the difficulties in autism can be extreme, both because of the nature of autism, but also because of other people. Because sometimes, quite frankly, people suck, right? Like sometimes it's because of other people's actions or reactions to what's going on with our autistic loved one. And so underneath that joy often lurks a sense of dread, a feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop, which makes it really hard to appreciate and enjoy the good times. What I want to know, and I think what you want to know, is how do we get past the feeling that something dreadful is a coming and it's just around the corner? And how do we allow ourselves the opportunity to relax into the good despite all of our past negative experiences? And I also want you to understand why we need to put effort into addressing this issue, because we, as the authority figures in these relationships, are the ones who are supposed to be in charge, right? Our kids look up to us for direction, for support, for encouragement, for a role model. So if we are anxious and all up in our heads, entertaining all these thoughts and feelings of just waiting for whatever unknown bad thing is about to happen, imagine what effect that has on both your parenting and on the energy that you're feeding your child. You may think that you're hiding it really well and that nobody knows, but they do. Maybe it's unconsciously that they know, but I promise you they know and they will remember in the future. You know, thinking back, I remember letting my fear guide my actions and I'd say things to my son like, are you sure you want to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it was, because I was worried that it wasn't going to go well or he would be embarrassed, or people would tease him, or a million other things that weren't even reality. They were just my fear churning around in my head. Or I would say things like, it's okay if you don't want to go. It's no big deal. 
And so under the guise of being supportive, I'm really being a jerk because I'm feeding him fear and doubt and defeat instead of helping him face his anxiety, which is a normal human process, and processing it and moving forward and getting out into the world and doing things, right? Because this is why I'm talking about this topic. It's important. It's going to have bearing on their future. And we're not always going to be around for that. So we need to put as much positive and good and encouragement into them that as we can and minimize these sorts of fear-based statements that come out of our own anxiety that has nothing to do with them. And it's not even got anything to do with reality. I know that you've had bad things happen in the past. I know that you know what the world is like, but what you're imagining isn't real. It hasn't happened and it might not happen. And in fact, something magical might happen instead. Something great. So stop. Just stop. And that's why I'm talking about this topic. I'm going to tell you some strategies to use. They might be things you want to try. And they also might be things that you think are ridiculous or that you've tried before. And if that's true, it's okay. But don't just give up. Don't just shrug your shoulders and move on to the next thing because you need to find some ways of working through your sense of dread and fear. Do some research. Try some new things. It's essential that you get a handle on this now and not 20 years from now when you're left with nothing but regret. Okay, I hope that helped you, encouraged you a bit, but let's dig into the expression of waiting for the other shoe to drop. The expression waiting for the other shoe to drop has its roots in the 1900s manufacturing era when people were crammed into tenement buildings. Apparently these buildings were all built kind of like the same. Each unit was identical stacked on top of each other. So if you were in your bedroom, you could hear your upstairs neighbor in their bedroom kicking off their shoes at the end of the day. And as one shoe hit the floor and made a thud, the person downstairs was left waiting to hear the thud of that second shoe dropping. And so the phrase, waiting for the other shoe to drop, refers to that feeling of waiting for a seemingly inevitable event to occur. There's a phrase in psychiatry called impending doom, which describes it perfectly, right? Like, you don't know what it is, but it's bad, and you feel like it's coming. It's based on what has occurred so many times in the past. How many times have things been going well, and something happened to disrupt it and spin everything into chaos again? So in researching this topic, I found information from Salim Rashamwala, who is the host of the podcast, More Than a Feeling. And they've outlined an excellent framework of managing this feeling we're talking about today. So I just decided there's no need for me to reinvent the wheel. And I've taken this framework and expanded it for us in concrete ways. So at the end of this, if you want to know more about this topic of dread, you can check out their mini series, which they have, I think they have three episodes all about an hour long. So I'm sure they're going to go into way more depth than I am. But it's titled The Dread Project. And again, it's more than a feeling podcast. There's a link in the show notes if you're interested and definitely check them out. But the first recommended strategy is to write it down as in journaling. And I know the word journaling makes you think of fancy people with fancy pens and fancy notebooks and fancy language and writing skills, right? But that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about doing something with the thoughts and worries that are swirling around in our head when we're experiencing this feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
because those things are really hard to talk about. They might be vague or difficult to describe, or maybe you just can't talk to the people around you because they don't understand. Maybe you feel like an asshole for talking about these bad feelings when things are going good. So what I'm talking about is a technique developed in the 80s called expressive writing. Expressive writing is an unfocused activity where you just simply put pen to paper and start writing whatever comes to mind without thinking about grammar or spelling or what anyone else is going to think about it. It's just you and your feelings being vomited onto the paper. And a lot of times you have no idea what you're going to write. And so when I do this exercise, every single time, I have no idea what I'm going to write. And I write that. I have no idea what I'm going to write. <laughs> and writing that sentence then flows into the next sentence. I'm supposed to write about what, whatever, X, Y, and Z. I'm worrying about X, Y, and Z. This is ridiculous. X, Y, and Z, right? Like you just, it'll come, trust me, because your brain is spinning. And so why do I think this is helpful? Well, obviously, I like science, and there's research evaluating the effects of expressive journaling on your anxiety. There was a study that used an EEG monitor to pay attention to brain waves in two groups of female college students. And they found that expressive writing reduced the size of the negative brainwave signals that indicate excessive worry. Now just think about that for a second because brainwaves on an EEG correlate to electrical impulses, which correlates to energy, right? So your brain is using a whole lot of energy to worry. And they can see that on the EEG. So when people journal in this way of freeform writing, they offload the worries onto the paper, which frees up mental resources that you can then use to focus on other things like joy. So get writing. The next strategy is to draw your dread. Simple. Get some markers, get some paper, and get to drawing because Drawing is a nonverbal activity. It uses different parts of your brain that your anxiety uses. And that allows you to just take a step back from your emotions and see the situation more clearly and more logically instead of being filtered through all of the emotions attached to past experiences. One study that looked at this drawing technique assigned 50 young adults randomly to one of two groups. Both groups were told to write down their biggest worries, 10 of their biggest worries. And then one group created artwork with pen and paper or markers or whatever. And the other group was given pictures of artwork and told to sort them. So they did that for 20 minutes. Both of these activities exposed the subjects to art, but only the first group was involved in the creative process. So what do you think happened? The group who were creators experienced significantly greater reductions in negative mood and anxiety symptoms compared with the art sorting group. So what does it tell us? It tells us to get creative, make some art, or as suggested, draw the ways in which you feel dread, or maybe really get creative and draw the dread itself, right? Like sometimes what we're worrying about is tangible. It's something that we can pinpoint and put down on paper. Sometimes it's just this vague feeling and you need to get a little creative to put that down in a work of art. 
But by doing that, you're going to be able to use the nonverbal part of your brain to work through this problem and reframe it, which is going to help you get rid of some of the fear and worry that you're experiencing. The third suggestion is to schedule your worries or the things that you dread. So what do I mean by that exactly? I mean dedicated time to think about the things that worry you. It's not going to eliminate those anxious thoughts that pop into your head all day long, but if you can remind yourself that you have time set aside to think about those thoughts, it takes the urgency away and it lends to a feeling of control. When we set aside a specific time to address our worries, we'll be goal-oriented and that's empowering. And it's so opposite of how our worry just can dog us throughout the day sometimes, right? Sitting down to address your worries directly also will often lead to solutions or actions that we can take to improve the situation. And it allows us to notice that maybe what we thought were insurmountable worries are actually manageable. A lot of that feeling of dread comes from the perceived overwhelm of handling a situation but in reality, it's the avoiding that's stressing us out. When we dread something, we try not to think about it. We try to just, quote, stop worrying, right? But of course, that is an exercise in futility. Any of us out there who have worried, we know that you can't just stop worrying. If we could, we would, because who the heck wants to worry? Nobody. And so carving out worry time can allow your brain to put it aside during other times allowing you to focus on the moments of joy. And the last suggestion is to notice your surroundings, which sounds simple enough. And it is because the hectic lives we live with a million necessary and unnecessary distractions alike lead us to a place where we simply forget to notice the things around us at any given moment. And that is the foundation of mindfulness. When is the last time you really noticed the beauty around you? the vibrant green of the grass, the color and shape of your loved one's eyes, the smell of the food you're shoving in your face as you rush to the next thing. All of these things, we all do it. We go unconscious and we just keep moving through the motions. In the process, we're missing all the good stuff. So get mindful. Next time you feel that sense of impending doom, that sense of dread, that sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop, stop and refocus on whatever is right in front of you. Is your child smiling? Revel in that smile. That moment is the only one that truly matters because all of those moments of joy are the things you're gonna wanna remember when you're laying in your deathbed. We need to constantly catch those moments so they cement in our memories because that is what life is about. Those moments of joy and beauty. Don't miss them worrying about the stupid shit that doesn't even matter. Pay attention, mindfully, purposefully. And I wanna remind you that you've got this. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving your person. You're making a difference, I promise you. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you know that I appreciate you spending your time here because I know there's a lot of other places that you could be. Quick shout out to my editor extraordinaire and co-producer Sam Eisenbaum. 
If you found value in this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you could just rate and review it on your podcast platform. Now get out there, keep learning and growing so that you can be the best version of yourself as you support the people you love. That's what this podcast is all about.